I, I thank you again for being here. I'm just going to make sure I'm, everybody can hear me. Do I sound like I'm talking in a, a tunnel or am I okay? Everything's fine? Okay. <clears throat> Very good. Uh, let's look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Oh, I do want to mention, uh, please pray for Walter, uh, Walter Kahn, uh, Pearl's husband. He's pretty sick. And uh, I don't know uh, to what degree other than he just may have a really, really bad cold. Uh, but uh, keep him in your prayers for recovery because uh, uh, Pearl texted me this morning and said they wouldn't be here because uh, may have to go to the doctor, um, have him looked at. Uh, so just keep that in mind and keep him in prayer as well, too, because um, from what I understand, if you, if you hear him talk, you may not recognize his voice. Um, it's pretty hoarse. So just keep him in prayer. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to come together as a group. We thank you for Sunday school. We thank you for the opportunity to fellowship together as a group. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we do pray for Walter, and we ask that you just bless him right now. We pray for healing for his body and healing for him where he is able to get rest and comfort. Uh, And we just pray that uh, um, any examination done by a doctor will reveal something that needs to be taken care of right away. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for your healing power, and we thank you for your grace and mercy. We give you praise for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lesson number seven, we are... Uh, lesson number six, excuse me, we are uh, kind of on page three. We're wrapping up the end of uh, this lesson here. We'll be moving into another lesson right after this. So depending upon how quickly we get done, we can pass out lesson seven. Um, but where we left off was kind of where we were talking about this whole thing about fairness. And we're talking about, uh, I'm going to pick up at the, the middle of page three on lesson six, and we'll, we'll get to the rest of this lesson today for all accounts. And we kind of asked the question out loud, what do you think it means to be fair? And fairness is strictly the interpretation of the individual um, because we know that fairness is something that is, one person may think that they're being treated well while another person in the same circumstance may think that they're not being treated fairly at all. Um, we run into this all the time in the workplace. Um, different personalities, different people will have a conclusion that they're being treated the right way and others who think they should deserve more will, will say, I, you know what, I don't think I'm being treated as fairly. I think something's not quite right. So it strictly is in the interpretation of the individual. And then we have the dictionary definition for fairness. The dictionary defines fair as marked by impartiality and honesty, without self-interest, prejudice, or favoritism. And we talked about how the workers in the field, the wages in Matthew chapter 20, uh, they felt as though they weren't getting, they weren't being treated equally. But the fact is, is that they were being treated fairly according to what the uh, owner of the land had done. Fairness and equality are not synonymous. We have to guard ourselves against the misnomer of determining God's fairness based on what we perceive as equal treatment. And now it, the, the author here of this text takes it one step further because we're talking about healing and not being healed. And uh, the author writes here, I've met people who have been healed, yet I have not been healed. And what she's referring to is that she's not been healed from her blindness. 
And we know of people who have been healed from various ailments. We know people who have been declared cancer-free. And we know people who have not made it through uh, when they've had cancer. So we know that those things are occurring too. So does this mean that God isn't fair because he hasn't treated all his children equally when it comes to healing? What if the real question is, isn't, is God fair? But if, should we be asking, is God just? Here's a potentially radical thought. What appears to be unequal treatment can be just. When you consider your circumstance, do you feel God is treating you with inequity? Inequality, excuse me. Can inequality be, inequality be just? And then we looked at it in verse 11 of Matthew 20 about how the workers grumbled against the owner because they thought they weren't being treated equally. If the morning workers had based their response on the master's justice rather than their view of fairness, they wouldn't have grumbled. However, rather focusing and focusing on the word of the master, they focus on the worth of the men's work. They made comparisons. So one of the things we have to look at here, and we talked about this last week, we're kind of moving through this quickly because we kind of covered it just to get back up to speed with where we were before. But we need to understand that we're not to, supposed to be, number one, comparing ourselves to other people. Let's start with that. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves to other people. The most important thing that we need to be doing in any situation is to look at your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a one-on-one relationship with him that you need to be looking at. Because God is going to deal with different people in different ways. Amen? Is that a fair comment? I mean, that's what we need to understand. He is going to deal with individuals differently based upon whatever he sees or whatever he needs to try to accomplish through that individual. And for you to compare yourself to someone else, well, you're, first of all, you're not, you shouldn't be doing that. That's the first thing that we need to take away from this as well, too. Especially when you look at what God's purpose is. God's purpose, first of all, is for him, number one, for him to be glorified. And how he accomplishes that is up to him because he's a sovereign God. And the other thing is that, too, he wants to see people get saved. And he is going to do whatever he tries to do to accomplish getting people getting saved. Some people get saved at an early age. Some of us, like my wife and I, wait until our 20s to get saved. And that's what happened for us. Some of us are in our 40s and we get saved. Well, obviously, different circumstances had to occur for those things to take place the way they did. So it's not about making comparisons about justness and fairness. That's what we need to look at here. Okay. So let's ask this question. It's at the bottom of page 3. It's in bold. In your difficult situations, have you ever compared your circumstances to, uh, circumstance to others' pain? Now, if you're answering the question honestly, you might be saying yes, if you're being honest. And that's fine, because in the midst of your turmoil, you're going to be asking a lot of questions. How is this person being healed, or how is this person getting through the situation, and I'm not, and I don't see anything happening, and I don't see anything positive happening? My dad's an interesting person. My dad, I don't think you'd mind me sharing this, but my dad is a person who doesn't really 
talk much about what he goes through. But Lynn and I both know that my dad, when he was trying to take care of my mom before she went into assisted living, he went through hell. But he never really said anything that came anywhere near as close to that. Okay? But he went through hell. It was very, very difficult on him. At one point, he got um, shingles. Yeah, he got shingles. Anybody who knows anything about shingles, it's a very painful thing to get. You know about it? Yeah. Um, that's caused by stress, usually. I mean, it's a stressful situation. And, pardon me? He wasn't even here? Oh, he was in Florida at the time. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He wasn't even here. He was going back and forth between here and Florida. But, yeah, it's very stressful. It was a very stressful situation. Because he had to live with her, you know, in stretches, you know, 24 hours a day. And she really probably required additional care like nurses and stuff like that or medication, you know, even in between. But he didn't, he did not complain. He occasionally would go out of the house to go see his uncles, his brothers. I'm sorry, his brothers, you're right, because they're my uncles. His brothers and, you know, get a, get a breather, so to speak. But even then, that wasn't very easy because you'd only be gone for a little while. And it's like, where are you? So you get a phone call, call up, call him up and try to find him and stuff like that. He, I don't think, I don't know if he was comparing himself to others or not, but, you know, he was going through it all and he, there was nothing he could really do about it. And it really wasn't until I got involved and we started giving him an exit strategy because he's getting a little bit too old to be caring for her the way he was. And so he is in Florida now full time. And my mom is in assisted living where she belongs. And she requires that 24-hour care and she's getting the proper medication. Those were things my dad just couldn't do. And I think he was also looking at ways to try to not to spend all of the money right away. I think he was trying to hold out as long as he could before we had to make decisions like that. But imagine going through that kind of a difficult situation 24 hours a day you got someone in the house who may be sleeping, may not be sleeping, may be swearing, may be beating on him. And I really do mean that. I mean, it, abuse was taking place. Didn't complain. Didn't say, didn't say anything to me out loud. But I could see it. I could tell. So in moments like that, do you compare your circumstance to others' pain? What's the result? What would be the result ultimately? If you compared yourself to others, what would be the result? Pardon me? It brings you down. Okay. Anyone else? It's something to think about, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And I said, how do you feel about that? She said, well, I'm ready to go home. Okay. I really am. I've been doing so much for you so long. Mm-hmm. I said, um, well, are you scared? She goes, no, I'm not. I'm scared for my kid. Okay. And I said, uh, well, I, you know, if you, you want me to give you my feelings on it, because you'll be a very good brother for that woman. I said, that you could bear in your heart to go home. God knows the time. He will choose the time. But you need to to buy your time now, praying for your children. You mm-hmm. know that you put them in church, but you really don't know what is going on. Right. So I said, you know, I will, I'll pray with you every day. I will call you. Mm-hmm. And we'll pray for the children. Yep. There you go. And that's what that's what people need. They need people to be friends. And I appreciate the fact that you asked her if she wanted advice, because that's important, too. Rather than just spewing it. Ask, because if, if, if she's if she's calling for a reason and a purpose, then you ask anyway. That's fine. And ultimately, what it comes down to is that. Yes, it is about using our time wisely, isn't it? While we have breath, life and breath, we can care for others, we can pray for others, we can look at situations like this about pain and understand that you looking at other people's circumstances isn't going to necessarily help you to resolve that issue. The best thing that you can do is what? Continue to communicate with the Lord, with Jesus Christ about what's going on. And out of concern for others, pray for them. Pray for others. Really, really important for us to see that and understand that. I wish I could tell you that it was going to be a solution where if you compare yourself to others, did you need one of these? Oh, okay. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, I wish I could tell you that it would be a situation where if you just continue to, you know, pray that things will be resolved, pray resolved in your heart and mind when it comes to other people, but it doesn't work that way. We need to make sure that we're praying according to where we are in our relationship with the Lord, the Lord will heal as he chooses to heal. But he also wants us to see the bigger picture. Now, page four. We're on the back end uh, of this lesson. When I compare my pain, it becomes, my, when I compare, my pain becomes the biggest thing in my life. I hold up to others and focus on me, myself, and why. Comparing is a deeply subjective measure of fairness and it leads to resentment self-pity, anger, and all sorts of other damaging reactions. This is the answer to the question. If you start looking at pain and what it does to you, first of all, pain messes with your head. 
Okay? It messes with you. Your body, you know, how do you feel when you get a headache? When you get a headache, and I'm not just talking about any headache, I'm talking about a migraine. How do you feel when you get a migraine headache? A migraine headache, for me, knocks me flat. I can't do anything. I don't, I don't want any light. I have to go to sleep. I've got to shut everything out. You can take all the medicine you want to. It's not going to work right away. You've still got the migraine until it goes away. Pain messes with you. For someone who has bone cancer, I'm sure it's got to be excruciating because it's going all through your body. So it does, if you start looking at other people and saying, how come that person's walking around without any pain, here I am all jacked up, yeah, you're going to be a little bit ticked off about that. But that's not necessarily the right response or the right reasoning behind it. You can't dwell on those things. When we contemplate the question of fairness, it's usually a self-centered inquiry because we ask, is this fair to me? When we ask the question of justice, it is a God-centered inquiry. Is God right in all his ways? Now you see what happens here? You're taking the focus off of yourself, and now you're looking at the one who you worship, the one you praise, and you look at his character and who he's about. Instead of looking at yourself, you're focusing on him. I guarantee you that's how you get through everything that you go through right now. You take the focus off yourself and you put the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, saying woe is me doesn't really do anything. Amen? I mean, you, look, and you may have every right to say woe is me. You may have every right to say that. But it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fix anything. We've already said previously that, that Jesus Christ or the Lord is not a magic genie. Remember how we use the words, not just genie, but magic genie? A magic genie can just do this and your pain is gone. That's not how it works. That's not who he is. This is, the larger picture too is like, how, why does the Lord allow suffering? You know, we have these questions that you'll hear from people when you're talking to them. Why does the Lord allow these things to happen? Why does the Lord allow these things to occur? Why is there poverty? Why is there hunger? Why are these things? That's a larger picture involved too. What's the answer going to be? The Lord allows it. Beauty comes from ashes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's very true. Did everybody hear what she said? Sometimes things have to be destroyed in order to see beauty come from it. Just like forest fires. It's the same thing. Forest fires do the same thing. What does it do? It, it destroys, but yet there is a renewal that takes place even in the midst of new growth, new development. Very, very important to see that. That's a great analogy. My wife is handing me something. It's, um, oh, thank you. Um, it's from Tony Evans. It says, God does not waste your pain. Joseph said to his brothers, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. 
God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me ruler over all the land of Egypt. Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8. Joseph suffered more than his fair share, more than his share of unfair treatment. Unfair. See that? First, his brothers threw him into a pit. Then they sold him to a passing caravan of traders. Joseph was next sold as a slave to an important man in Egypt. He eventually became the head slave in charge of the household, only to be falsely accused and imprisoned. He eventually won the trust of the jailer and was placed in charge of care of the care of the prisoners. One prisoner was released, and he promised to plead for Joseph, but instead he forgot about him, and Joseph remained in prison for several years. Eventually, freed prisoner remembered Joseph and brought him before Pharaoh. Joseph was treated well and eventually became the ruler second only to the Pharaoh. When Joseph came to a position of authority in Egypt, he was able to help others, and especially his family, through his wise decisions. Joseph's path to prominence was riddled with pain. Yet through it all, God had a purpose and a plan. I think what it all comes back to is that God has a purpose and he has a plan even when we are scuffling. This, well, I'm reading from TonyEvans.org, but that's where... Um, Genesis, uh, Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8. Genesis 45. Yes. That's right. He could have been justified in doing so, but that doesn't solve, it wouldn't solve his issue at all. I had to tell somebody something the other day. Yeah. Focus on the purpose, not the pain. God has set you on a path and will take you where you need to go. Keep the faith and keep pressing on. I need to share something else with you, too. There was a gentleman who called me about a week and a half ago, and he wanted to try and get his lease issue resolved with leasing. And he was trying to reach out to a person in leasing. And he's kind of a bombastic guy, I guess is the best way I can put it. I'm going to call this woman every day until she responds to my issue. I'm going to tell you something. If you call this woman every day, you're going to go to the bottom of the pile. I just told him. From a psychological standpoint, I said, don't do that. I said, if you want to call her every other day, if you want to call her twice a week, that sounds okay. But if you call her every single day and bury her voicemail with your phone call about an issue, and she's already a busy woman, I promise you, you're going to go right to the bottom of the pile. You're just not going to get that phone call back right away because you're ticking people off. You're not, even though you might have a legitimate issue that you want to talk about, whether it is or not, doesn't really matter. 
You don't do stuff like that to people. I don't care how justified you think you are. So I told him, I gave him advice. I said, look, you run your business whatever way you want to. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you call her every day, you're not going to get a response right away. I promise you that. And that's because you're just being aggravating now. Complaining does not get you a response the way you think it should. Because you're just going to put people off. Now, the same thing really applies here in this exercise. God doesn't want to hear you complaining. God does want to hear you praising. He does want to hear you praying. And praying for peace, for understanding. He always says to ask him. If Matthew 7, 7 says, ask, seek, knock, that's what you should be doing. It doesn't say complain, complain, complain. Because that won't work, will it? You know, we hear enough complaints where we just know that sometimes those complaints just aren't going to get those issues resolved because you're not really asking for an answer when you're complaining. You're not. You're just complaining. It doesn't solve anything. So we need to go back and ask again, is God right in all his ways? Here's the real question. Jesus' story was the master just, and we read Matthew 20, 13, And the master did not lie. We said, he's not a liar. He didn't lie. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. He gave exactly what he promised. The master was just. He did not lie. God is just, but does he ever lie? Can he? No. Uh, We already know the answer to that, but let's look at Numbers 23, 19. Just as a sidebar, too, as a a lifetime of being involved in some way with customer service, and even collections is customer service. You're you're performing a service. But the best phone calls are the ones where people aren't yelling and screaming, or not yelling and screaming at you, but they're very pleasant if they have an issue. Amen? That's very true. There's a lot of life application here. Okay. Okay. It says in verse 19 of Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of a man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? That's one thing we have to always remember too. God is not a man. God is God. He doesn't lie. We lie all the time. Amen? We lie to ourselves, we lie to other people, we, because it's a, it's, our, it's a fleshly thing to do. But he doesn't lie. So that's the first thing we have to look at here, too. Now let's look at Titus 1, 2. We'll start with verse 1. Titus 1.1 Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness 
Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. One thing we have to remember when we look at Scripture and look at God's character is that God does not lie. Every promise that he has made has been kept or will be kept. That's pretty important, especially for us. It's against his character for him to lie. He will not lie. He has not lied. And he is not going to lie. Very important for us to see that. So it says in the bowl right below that, God does not, cannot, and will not lie. If he did, he would cease to be just. That's pretty important. It's his character, therefore, because he doesn't lie, he is just. You would love to believe that our justice system would get it right every time. It doesn't. There's imperfection in the justice system. And that imperfection is based solely on the fact that you have human beings sometimes involved in making decisions. Sometimes people who are in court have bad attorneys. It's just part of the part of the process. Unfortunately, if you got a bad attorney, I feel sorry for you. If you know you got a bad attorney, get another one. Don't wait until it's too late. But God is just It would have been grossly unjust if the master promised one denarius and gave half of one or none at all. It would have been deeply unjust if the master had made false promises or lied, but he didn't. God is just even when he doesn't seem fair. And what example did we give last week where we talked about how important it is for us to see that God is just when it comes to fulfilling the very things I said? What did I say earlier? That he, he wants to be glorified, but he also wants to see every person come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what his will is. That's what he desires. So what did we talk about last week as being very, very important in this whole process of understanding what God sees in individuals, not comparing yourself to other people, but individuals. He's going to do whatever it takes to get that person to acknowledge the need for Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Whether you're 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. If it takes a lifetime, he's willing to go that far to get it done for you. The thief on the cross was one example we talked about. The thief on the cross... It took that moment for the thief on the cross to see Jesus for who he really was. And knowing that he was deserved to die for his crime. You know, one of the first things I think about, too, when I see somebody who's a, a mass murderer or a murderer who goes to, goes to prison and they have the death penalty up over their head, that that person comes to know the Lord while they're in prison because... That's really all you have you can hope for or pray for. 
Yeah, that's right. The crime has been done. There's no getting out of it. That death penalty is going to happen eventually, someday. That person actually has a timetable now. There's actually a timetable established because it's going to be something that that person is going to face an end at some point. It's usually about 15 years after you get convicted. On average, 10 to 15 years. If he trusts Jesus Christ as personal Savior, yes. Well, who was Paul? What did Paul do? What was Paul? He was a murderer. He was complicit in murder. He was a hit. He was a hit man. <laughs> We're using modern terminology now. He was a hit man. He just gave direction. Yeah, I get. I get what you're saying. See, that's pretty. That's pretty clever on you to do that. He gave direction. This is the person you. Yeah. Yeah, murder does not. You know, say that you can't still go see the Lord if you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior. That's something we need to understand, too. It doesn't get you out of the consequences, absolutely. If you murder someone, there is a consequence for it. In, in Old Testament talks about that, too. There's, if you murder someone, you can be murdered. Go back and look at the old law in the Pentateuch. You, you see examples of that. They're giving examples of that. What, do you, what happens if you do this to so-and-so? Well, you can get stoned too. That's how a lot of justice was meted out back in those days too. They just stoned you to death for less than murder too. But, is that fair? Okay. Why do you say that? I want to hear that. I want to hear why you say that. Go ahead. Yeah. But usually 99% of the time they get in jail and they find mm -hmm. God. And we have to believe that. And he, if he's, he's repented, he's asked for forgiveness, we've got to accept that. Yeah. Accepting Christ as his personal Savior, I don't care how many people he killed. That's right. And that's fair. That's just. Yeah. It's just based upon how God establish what he put forth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, you just can't talk a good game. You have to do it. And we can't, we, we can... You're looking at all the stuff that happened before and saying he should have been fried on the spot. I already know where your mind is going with that. And that's, but that's a, but that is a, that's a valid response. That's how they looked at Paul. That's right. Paul got, Paul, remember Paul got the, the, the goofy eye, right? I know. Paul got the goofy eye for a while there. You know, it was like, who is this guy? Yes. That's exactly right. That's right. There's no. That's right. Yes. On the human side, we measure. Yep. And but we forget in the measurement. Yep. 
whether saved or unsaved, we all belong to who? To him. That's why he has final word. That's exactly right. He gives us the illustration the illustration of the man who started working every part of the day and the one guy who came and worked one hour. That's right. But he paid him the same, same amount of money. That's right. And the guy said, That ain't right. I worked all day. I've been a Christian 30 years or 20 years. That's right. And he gets in in the last five minutes of life. That's right. The deathbed confession. confession. That was the other example we gave last week. And the requirement is Mm -hmm. believe on Jesus Christ. Period. That's it. That's it. Whether you're a murderer, whether you're not a murderer, it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, it comes down to that. That's why I've been emphasizing this one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ is by far the most important thing. Yes. He gets in. Yep. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's why we don't focus on ourselves. Yep. Go ahead. You're going Yep. Yep. That's right. Hundred thousand. Okay, Whatever the number is, he's making more money than we. Okay. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay. So we see the importance here of the focus. Choose a promise. Look where it says down in the handout. Choose a promise below that will remind you of God's just character. And look at the verses there. God's way and work is perfect. He is faithful to me. Deuteronomy 32.4. God is right and just. He will be my shield and refuge. Psalm 18.30. God doesn't change. I won't be consumed. Malachi 3.6. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and gracious in all his acts. Psalm 145.17 Trust his promise to you, for he doesn't lie. Choose to take him as he is and trust his just character acting on your behalf. The laborers may not have understood the landowner's motive, methods, or the meaning of his actions, but what matters most is the master was faithful to his purpose. That's what you need to see. No one can snatch anyone out of Jesus' hand once they declare that he is Lord of their life. That is his thing. That's what he says. He's promised that. And we should be grateful even if a person dies on their deathbed and gives their Lord to Jesus and say, hey, it may have taken the entire life, but that's what God had to do to that person's life to get to that person to where they are. Period. That's what I'll always believe. It's a one-on-one thing between that person and the Lord. 
It doesn't erase consequences. It doesn't take away what he did before or she did before. But ultimately, the most important thing is that that person comes to saving knowledge. Now, there won't be a whole lot of crowns waiting for him when he gets there. But that's ultimately what, what really matters, though, is fellowship with him in, in that place in heaven. That's what really matters. Won't be a lot of crowns. That's part of the consequence. But we look at this, we can go back and look at Scripture and see these things. Go ahead. No, you're not even going to keep your crown. Thank you. You're not even going to keep your crowns anyway. The crowns that you earn, guess what you're going to be doing? Just like they do, if you're reading Revelation right now, what are the, 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 the 12, the, the, the people there, the, um, the elders there are all bowing down out of their thrones, bowing down and worshiping Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we're all going to be. We'll be prostrate half the time. Frankly, we may not always understand God's motive, methods, or meaning behind his actions, but we see he is faithful to his word. He is just in the way he responds to each of his children. My friend, rest today in his just, righteous, and merciful character. A piece of wisdom from William Shakespeare. Is it not in mercy that then that sorrow is allotted unto us? That's interesting. Even in our pain, God is merciful. Because what was said before, too, we all don't deserve what we get. We, we, we don't deserve this grace. We don't do anything to deserve it. That's very important for us to see and understand. The lesson next, our next lesson, when we get started next week, we'll actually be talking just about that. It's going to be talking about how we get, frankly, undeserved grace. It's moving right into the next lesson. But I hope that this has been valuable for you to really help people to see and understand. Well, first of all, to help you to see and understand the importance of this fairness issue and being able to address this fairness issue, especially when you're talking to other people. No, God is not fair, but he is just. Amen? We've covered all these reasons why he's just. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to see what your word says to us and to encourage us. And Lord, you've helped us to even tie some things together when it comes to our relationship with you. We don't always understand why things are done the way they are done, but we do know that you are a just God. We know that you certainly want to see us as a body worship together, but... The most important relationship that we have with you is the one-on-one. -on -one. How you speak to us individually, how you teach us, how you direct us, how you give us guidance, how you give us understanding of your word. Help us in this process as we learn more about discipleship with others, that we can take what you've taught us and relate it to others when we are called upon. Thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us and help us to deal with these issues as they come up. Thank you for showing us that you are a God who does not lie and a God that keeps all of his promises. We give you praise and thanks for this. We ask that you bless the upcoming message and the speaker. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time.